Welcome to the Superior Podcast. I'm Father Samuel Schneider, and I'm a Superior Priest, not because I'm all that good, but because I'm from the Diocese of Superior. And uh, today, I wanted to talk a little bit with uh, with you and with Megan uh, McMeekin here, who's our Coordinator for Religious Education here in Yokosuka. Uh, we want to talk a little bit more about the Gospels. And so... Specifically the Evangelists. The Evangelists. Yeah, well... Is there any other Gospels? Well, I there's mean, not, no, no but we're, we're starting it. Actually, I, but I think there is a difference between talking about the Gospels themselves by the, the evangelists. evangelists. Okay, we're so kind of the... talking about the Evangelists. The Evangelists, kind of the writers. The writers. You're kind of, of making gospels. that separate. The, the writers right. versus the actual Gospels, the Scripture itself. Correct, I mean, we'll because that would, be like a, that would be like a 20-part podcast I mean, that would bore the world to death. That's true. I, so. I thought of them just too intricately linked, but you're right. Everything that, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's totally a separation. Quick question. Why are we talking about the evangelists this week? Uh, I think it's St. Matthew on Wednesday. It is, in fact. Yeah. Is there yeah. something else that I'm missing? No, okay. that's it. It is uh, the Feast of St. Matthew okay. on the 21st. Which is good go. All right. Yeah. Well, you really like words. You're good with words. I love etymology as well. And so what does, I mean, we use the words gospel and evangelist, but what do they actually mean? So um, evangelist comes from like so many things in the Bible do, or at least in the New Testament, from yeah. Greek. Right, because it was um, written in Greek. Because it was originally written in Greek, because that was the predominant language of the Mediterranean at that right, time. Right, right. So it comes from, let me look at my notes so I don't mispronounce mm-hmm. it. Okay. and that comes, the root is U E U which means good, okay. and Angeline, which means to announce. Okay. So, days was someone who announced good things okay. or good news. That's kind of when we talk about announcing the good news. Would they have, were evangelists also called, I know that they had people who would run out in front of, you know, the emperor, and mm. shout, you know, like kind of... the criers or the messengers? The messengers, maybe yeah. more of a messenger as... Well, I think, yeah, criers uh, in right. the sense of yelling out. Um, that would kind of say like, hey, everybody, good news, the right. emperor is coming, which maybe was good news for some people and bad news for others. But uh, I wonder if that, that was the same uh, term was used for those people. I don't think so because actually apostle is more tied to that kind oh, okay. of meaning. Okay. Um, Apostle is more uh, tied to the word for apostolos is the Greek for that. Okay. And that is more tied to like a messenger or envoy. Okay. Like someone who goes in front of somebody. Okay. To okay. Talk so about that must be, things. yeah, apostle. Okay. Kind of like an ambassador. Well, not an ambassador, but I yeah. can, that's my word association, it, which is different than whenever I think of apostle, which is uh, in the in the Christian sense, is from Paul's explanation that the apostle is someone who's witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Mm, So that's what I think of with the tie-in, but it's uh, a messenger in some ways, which is a messenger about, you know, hey, I've seen the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Exactly. This is what it is. Yeah, and that's actually kind of a newer usage of it, like in the terms of language, not... not, Right. Not it's really a time. Christian. It's a yeah, Christian. Yeah, it became oh, yeah, more absolutely. of a specific Christian term okay. around the like, kind of the third or fourth century. Yeah, and up until yeah. then, of course, there was yeah, you know, yeah. but yeah, apostolos okay. was just 
a messenger in okay. ancient Greek. Okay, so uh, Evangelist is a messenger or an announcer of good news. Correct. Okay, and gospel is? Gospel comes from an old English word, actually. So it's a, it's a much newer word. Okay. It doesn't have a root in yeah. Latin or Greek. It has its roots, actually, more in German, because there are more ties between German and Old English than... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's then Latin, um, just the Saxon invasions and all kinds yeah. of stuff. But um, I will nerd out on you on words, so danger, Will Robinson. Uh, but God's gospel comes from the roots. The two roots for it are gut, which is the old English term for good. A lot of people mistake it for God, G-O-D, because oh. that's how it's spelled, but it was pronounced good. And then spell which is the word for a story or a message. Hmm. So it's the good message. Okay. And again, we see that recurring theme of the good news. Yeah, and the gospel, in the, in the actual scripture itself, it talks a lot about the good news of Jesus exactly. Christ. Exactly, yeah, you know, it so does. The good news of the kingdom, you know, the other things right. uh, that's kind of emphasized. Good. So, so that's kind of the theme, that, that theme of good news, good messenger, good, yeah. you know, bringing something special out into the yeah. world and that it, that is the yeah. driving force behind these yeah. things yeah. is very emphasized. And yeah, so that's a good distinction between the actual good news versus the one who is announcing the good news. And so for the evangelists, we have the four, we have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right. which are for the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, that's how we kind of associate them. And interestingly enough, I mean, in the early, the early, the oldest manuscripts don't have them ascribed to anyone. So right. it's not like as if uh, it's signed, and this is by John. Um, <laughs> it's there's little hidden messages in it that the early church community wanted to assign, and this was actually really common in the uh, ancient days, where they would be assigning you the way to get it pub- something published and kind of recognized was to put it underneath a name of somebody who was known. So we have a lot of pseudo pseudo Dionysius is right. one of the most common that I kind of think of. There's a lot of pseudo uh, writings because we basically have found out like, oh, that wasn't actually Dionysius, even though that yeah. was written as that, or it wasn't actually Paul, even though that it was written as Paul, um, because we kind of see now with the language studies uh, differences, all that to be said, it was very common to write as, hey, uh, we want this to be published more. And so, hey, look, it's, it's underneath Matthew's name. And all of a sudden it gives a, a greater, you know, like, hey, it's one of the apostles and now it has greater authority. Um, right. So, but all that to be said, I think that there's, there's a lot of the modern scholarship says that they weren't written by the, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, mm. or John. However, I find it really fascinating that there's some really good indications that maybe they were, you know, or at least some good details that, that give us indication that uh, they were at least written with that intention in mind. Right. Or that, I, you know, tie-ins with other ancient writings that mention yeah. them as being either companions to other apostles for the two that weren't written yeah by right oh right 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 not all of them were apostles so john right. and john and matthew but mark and luke i love the yeah right. mark and luke are the so the cool mark would have uh been walking with peter we hear this in the acts of the apostles right. uh john mark i think is that or is it mark john Mark John. Mark John, I think. And so anyways, he uh, actually walked with Peter. And so the idea is, is that he actually wrote down Mark, Peter's account right. of 
of, uh, so Peter was talking about Jesus and talking about, you know, the ministry that he went through and everything else. And Mark is transcribing and and then kind of publishes it right. and kind of puts it out. And then the idea of Luke being with St. Paul. Right, exactly. And, and we see him first write the Acts of the Apostles. Right. And at a certain point in the writing, it goes from they did this, they did this, to we did this. Mm. Kind of uh, them to all of a sudden we. And that's when Luke joins kind of the group. Um, again, it's debated. There's also – so Acts of the Apostles is written the same way as Luke's gospel. It's written to Theophilus right. to kind of, hey, Theophilus, you know, you wanted to learn out more more about this group. Here you go. Oh, Theophilus, in the Acts of the Apostles, we talked about what the apostles did. Now we're going to talk about what Jesus actually did. I'm, I'm going to nerd out on you on words yeah. again real quick. Theophilus. Theophilus. Yeah. You know, man of God, right? Man of God or lover of God. Lover of God, I right? think is Theo, what it is. Theo is God. Theos is God. And yeah. Felis, yeah. the root is love. Yeah. So. So, yeah, which is, was that a real person or not? That's right. part of the debate is, was it an actual person that Luke was actually writing to? Or was it um, just, again, transcribing to, hey, anyone who's a lover of God. Right. Uh, if you're a lover of God, here's the story about God, yeah. uh, God coming and being. I think I us. like the second one even better. Yeah. That yeah, um, that it is just to anyone yeah, who loves yeah. God. It, this well, is a letter to you. To you, yeah. Right. That yeah, it's to, it doesn't need to be any to anyone specific. Right. Yeah. It is to anyone who sees the beauty and joy. Yeah. And the love to come. So in. Yeah. there's kind of a similar kind of interaction that happens, uh, a similar kind of wordplay with John's gospel. Part mm-hmm. of the reason why John it's ascribed to John is because in his gospel he never puts himself forward, uh, or he never puts the apostle John forward in the gospel right. of John, gospel according to John, and he always says the beloved disciple. Now it's uh, it's kind of a <laughs> It's kind of pride and humility. It's humility because he doesn't actually use his name, but it's kind of prideful because you're like, oh, yeah, I was uh, loved the best. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, the beloved disciple was there, but where was everybody else? You know, well, you know even um, saints weren't perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but where I think it comes in really well writing-wise is that now we can actually put our place ourself in a place of mm-hmm. the beloved disciple. Like it's an amazing literary again use to be able to say, oh, it's not just John who's there, who's given uh, that Jesus gives Mary to, but it's beloved disciple, which is hopefully all of us. Hopefully right. all of us are the beloved disciple and we're able to put ourselves into that place and to rest our head on on the on Jesus, you know, at the Last Supper and to to be close to him in that way. And so yeah. it it opens up uh, a lot more as opposed to if he just said, I did this. I'm going to take you back to something you said that you slipped on a little bit. Oh. You said the gospel of John. Initially, gospel according to John. And then you corrected yourself to gospel according to John. The interesting thing is that actually in the Greek, here yeah. I go again. Okay. It is, yeah. there. it's not in the genitive case, which would make it possessive, which would be gospel of John or gospel mm-hmm. of Mark. Mm-hmm. But they actually specifically in the Greek use according to okay and yeah. that's why we say it that way yeah. in which in the church. oldest manuscripts um wasn't a it didn't say right. gospel it just was hey this, this is the good news right um and then was later on ascribed to a around the 200 second century yeah 200s yeah, century, a little bit so yeah. um it's just an interesting little nuance of language yeah. that also because it is the gospel according to, and it isn't of a single person, yeah. it gives a unity to all four gospels, yeah. that they are the same thing. It's just 
four different perspectives on exactly exactly it allows for that perspective kind of aspect it allows for some differences they actually say that um police uh, police at a crime scene or different things if they have multiple witnesses and they all say the same exact thing and that they saw the same exact thing there's actually red flags that go up right because nobody sees exactly the same thing somebody sees a black car and it was a van for sure. And then someone sees a black sedan. Mm-hmm. And it, it, because our memory is kind of faulty in some ways. And so there's actually uh, a confirmation. Of course, it becomes difficult. What, what, what was it, a van or a sedan? Uh, okay, we're, we're not exactly sure, but maybe the consensus is the most. But there's actually that diversity actually allows for actually an authentici- authenticity of them actually saying what I saw. It's the gospel according to what my perspective was of what right. I saw, what I understand. And there's also an aspect of the according to which um, allows for that diversity. It also allows a little bit of artistic freedom, let's mm-hmm. say, where we're not very comfortable with that in a biographical way in the modern day. Uh, but in the uh, in ancient world for a biography, it was very much, it wasn't, date and fact driven in a physical sense as much as truth driven mm-hmm. of hey the emperor was an amazing guy let me show you how amazing it was because he could you know break a pillar with his you know bare hands right. and well, he couldn't actually break a pillar with his bare hands. He maybe broke a stick with his bare hands. But you want to demonstrate the power and the authority that he had as a whole, you you kind of make it something bigger and and you would sometimes move around certain dates or the way that things happen in order to emphasize a growth and different things and so we see that within the different gospels a different order of things happening which isn't somebody lying or making things up but it's somebody trying to emphasize a point and that's where the gospel according to uh, john or matthew mark luke or john is trying to again tell us a deeper truth about jesus other than well he's born on a tuesday and the fifth you know right no, he's he's giving us, us so much more. There's also, we were talking about a little bit earlier about certain key, what would you call it, uh, keywords like, where it gives us so much more understanding. Oh, the, so the setting of the scene. Because we were, we were talking yeah. about, oh, we met him on the street at high noon. noon. High noon. Now and suddenly, and I've said high noon, yeah. we're all on the dusty uh, street yeah. of some old western town yeah. and... There's a rattlesnake going. A rattlesnake, off in the yeah, corn. exactly. Yeah. And you just know that somebody's staring you yeah. down, and and it's empty, and uh, and that was very true within uh, the a lot of the biographies of the old old right. age of that they would say certain things like that. Now they might have actually met at nine o'clock in the morning, but they're gonna, you know, again the artistic story is gonna say high noon so that it's a lot more efficient in its word use, and mm-hmm. instead of having to explain all these different things, you say three high noon, and all of a sudden. All this information comes right. in. And I think that ties in also just to the time of oral tradition. Yeah. Because there was not a lot of writing, only a certain select of all the apostles, maybe Matthew probably wrote because yeah. he was the tax well, there's collector. Well, there's some uh, thought that John and James were actually mm. um, well-educated. Yeah. Um, Anyways, yeah, but Peter... But, yeah, others, so there was yeah. still a very yeah. strong oral tradition right. for stories. Absolutely. You, you look at the Old Testament, the Jewish tradition was very yeah. wrapped up in oral tradition. And so you're not giving 
blanket. Mm-hmm. You're, you're telling a story. Right. And you're, yeah. you're connecting with other stories that you already know. And even then they use certain devices in their stories to evoke yeah. that kind of stuff. Homer used it in the Odyssey yeah. with the rosy fingered dawn consistently yeah. as a way to evoke that that vision and that picture and also to propel the story along. Yeah. Yeah. So you see it a lot in that time as well. And even though we do believe that these are the word of Jesus Christ, the gospels, right. you know, that they are they are still told by imperfect humans and everyone's perception is always yeah. a little bit different. Yeah. So we yeah, they're the word of God, um, but they're communicated through us through right. uh through individual evangelists which weren't uh, they weren't taken. There's sometimes a view, sometimes like as if they were possessed to write this exact. No, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to right. write God's word. And uh, with that as well, it was also written in Greek and it was transcribed. And so we do have certain errors within it. We also have a translation in English and can, you can translate things slightly different. But what's awesome about Catholicism anyways is that our faith isn't reliant on the exact right translation or in the word of God insofar as whether it's exactly right, whether this is the transcribed word of God being, you know, possessed. It's, it's about the church that he started, which gives authority to be able to interpret. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter whether it was thee or thou or whether it was ri- written really by uh, Mark or whether it was written by another companion of right. Peter that we don't know. Uh, the reason why it has authority as the word of God is because it's ascribed so by the church, divinely right. inspired by the Holy Spirit, you know, as a whole working together. And so a rose by any other name would be just as sweet. It's from Shakespeare, Romeo oh, okay. and Juliet. Yeah. Come on, man. No, you did not no, pay I did attention not. in high school English, uh, did you? I never read Romeo and oh, Juliet. man. So, wow. Yeah, bad, so, bad okay. education. Right. So anyways. I'll um, make sure to let your mom know. I'm sure she knows. <laughs> um, so uh, we read other great books. Um, there you go. Okay. So one of the cool things that I really love is symbols in Catholicism. Mm-hmm. You know that again, it's it's the high, high noon where all of a sudden it, you know you you have all this other information that rushes to it, and it's similar when we look at certain symbols. Sure. We should see a symbol, and all of a sudden we think of you know, 20 other things. And so if you notice at the gospel book, I love the gospel book that we have here at, uh, uh, in Yokosuka is it has the four symbols of the gospel on there as well as the daily mass chapel hat or chalice has the four gospel, mm-hmm. the symbols of the four gospels. And there's this great symbolism of the unity together building mm-hmm. up. If you look in uh, Europe, a lot of times at, um, in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, anyways, it's very very common in other places as well. The four pillars that build up the dome often have ascribed one of the symbols of the Gospels, kind of having these four pillars which right. build up the 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 whole Gospel and the story of Jesus. And so those are ascribed. It's often a, a winged human, mm-hmm. kind of an angel, a bull or an ox, a lion, and an eagle, all winged. Right. Um, and it ascribes to there's a similar kind of there's actually a creature in Ezekiel as well as in Revelation that's yeah. four sided. Well, I think mm-hmm. in Revelation it's actually four separate four separate, four separate uh beings who are inside the circle of twelve. And, and then in Re- and in Ezekiel it is a four faced Which is just weird creature, it's which is odd. Yeah. But 
each side of the face has a different symbol and it is these are the ones one is the face of a man an ox a lion and an eagle yeah so that's the in ezekiel a prophet yeah, you know, in the Old Testament, yeah. and then the New Revelation, right, kind of uses these right. symbols as well because Ezekiel was talking about, you know, kind of the coming of the Son of God, right, and then or the Son of Man actually, and then Revelation is again kind of this culmination of history of coming again, uh, the second coming of the mm-hmm. Son of Man. Um, all that to be said, the four symbols are often ascribed to a specific. Um, one of the specific evangelists. Right. And so the easiest ones that I always remember is is the eagle is for John's gospel because John kind of speaks from a very high Christology. So he kind of, he, the idea, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally nerd out and kind of give a little bit of an example okay. of each That's one. That's okay. That's what we're here that for. John uh, kind of, its gospel is has a high Christology and part of the traditional story and kind of history of it is the thought that John was, the youngest mm-hmm. apostle who lived the longest and actually died of old age in Patamos is kind of the, and we, we see that kind of written in one of the letters. An but and, unusual fate for one of the apostles yeah, to die all, of old age. All the other, yeah. So there's kind of thought that he died in exile, so it was kind of martyrdom, right. but it was a different type of martyrdom. Uh, but he had a long time to think over his time with Jesus, you know, kind of replay what had been told, living, you know, praying through the Holy Spirit. And he also probably saw the other Gospels mm-hmm. and kind of heard them. And so John's Gospel is completely different than all the others. And the way that I like to think about it anyways is that he needed to fill it out. Okay, And so what's actually interesting is that John's gospel gives this amazing history or he gives us John chapter six, which is the bread of life discourse, kind of saying Jesus, you know, gives this commandment, like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall not have life within me. And then he doesn't give a last uh, last supper institution. Right. And it's like, why? He's talking about, you know, the Last Supper, you know, this institution of the Eucharist within the Last Supper within John chapter six. And then he doesn't give the Last Supper. Part of the idea or the thought behind it is that they were already included in the other gospels. In the other ones, also, um, I, isn't he the only one who mentions Jesus washing the feet of the? Apostles? Yeah, so he gives a yeah. long Last Supper discourse. Right, it's a whole discourse of washing the feet, and he tells him so much more, but he doesn't give an institution there. Right, and yeah. so it's it's kind of this odd fascination, and the fact that there's almost no similarities or any of the stories are the same. Uh, again, kind of give this idea of his just ability to reflect on his time. And then also, I mean, I don't know what the scripture scholars say, but it seems to make sense that, again, he he already knew that there was certain information out there in the early church community, that the Mass was already being celebrated, the Last Supper was already known. So he didn't need to tell people about that. He doesn't need to beat the dead horse. He doesn't need to beat the dead horse, right. (laughs) It's already already, out there. We've already heard it. it. Yeah. Let me fill in the gaps and actually give some higher theology, the beginnings really of higher theology for us. Right. And um, discuss that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the idea, the eagle's view, you know, the the vision uh, that's really fast. Um, So that's kind of the easiest one. And then I kind of, I think of Luke is probably the the next easiest is that he has the uh, 
uh, nativity. So mm-hmm. he's the, the one that gives the nativity scene of both John the Baptist as well as Jesus, kind of connecting those two. But Jesus was born in a stable with ox. And right. we also see Luke's gospel very much focused on the marginalized, kind of the beast of burden. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also focused on a lot of injuries or healings and kind of gives certain indication that he seems to know more about certain injuries as opposed to just saying um, general sickness. He mm-hmm. actually sometimes gives very specific uh clarification of what kind of sickness or what kind of injury or different things that Jesus healed. And so we see that kind of he has a physician's eye as well mm-hmm. as a love for the beast of burden, kind of the the lowly human, which was, of course, not common. He mentions many women. He actually gives us an account. The other accounts, again, also talks about the marginalized and the poor and, and women as well. But Luke mentions it uh, multiple more times. Right. He also... Uh, give certain stories that are specific to him alone in his gospel. And that's one of the most well-known is the prodigal of the, the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal um, son and uh, the Samaritan woman too, I think uh, is. The Samaritan, uh, the, the, a Samaritan, the, no, the good thief or not the good thief. Sorry. This, the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan. The good Samaritan. Sorry, not the yes. Samaritan woman at the yeah. well, but the who good is Samaritan. My, who is my neighbor? Right. The good Samaritan. The good Samaritan. And so we yeah. have that story as well. So that's the ox. Uh, the lion is Mark's gospel, which... Only way I remember Mark is yeah. the lion is um, because I think of St. Mark's in Venice, and it has lions all over oh, the outside. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I'm like Mark, Mark, Mark. It's Mark. It's <laughs> Mark. Yeah, and so you, yeah, which is cool. Again, uh, people, th- this is what's beautiful about symbols, and I, I think is beautiful about Catholicism as well, is we're such a literary society mm-hmm. now, but we haven't always been. And so. Oh, that's the best thing. You can go into a Catholic yeah. church in any random country, yeah. especially the really old European yeah. countries where there are symbols everywhere. everywhere. And you can point to it and say, oh, that's St. Peter, that's St. Sebastian, that's St. Mark, And you just have a, you have a catechetical, you know, just again, wonderland Mm -hmm. in some ways of just, uh, again, enriching and and the way that things are interacting. And yeah, you see something and you just, it it tells you a whole story. Right. Um, So with Mark, uh, he was actually thought to be the first written gospel and he uh, is thought to have listened to Peter uh, mm-hmm. tell the story about Jesus, and then he wrote his account. But what's – so the reason why he's a lion is because he very much focuses – he, the way that I remember anyways, is that he's a little bit more Jewish. Mm. He, and so he assumes that you know certain things about Jewish holidays or other right. things. He doesn't translate. Luke explains to the Gentile and says, well, this is the reason why. He gives uh, a translation from right. Greek in, or from – Aramaic. Mark was very much plain just, to the Jewish audience. To the Jewish more audience. He's than, like, of course you yeah. know what the Passover is and right. whatnot. He doesn't need to explain. He doesn't translate certain words. He just kind of plays along with it. And so I think of him as the tribe of Judah, the lion mm. of Judah, and right. kind of uh, being being kind of more Jewish in that way. He also really funny enough, is really wordy. So he's the shortest gospel, <laughs> and the thought is, is that he wrote his first, and then Luke and Matthew kind of copied off of him right? and kind of shared it. There's also this idea that there's a Q source of like this separate source that they all wrote off of that had sayings of Jesus, but that we have no evidence whatsoever of. Um, yeah, I mean, 
okay, maybe, but I'm not exactly a big we fan of Q-Source. We said we weren't going to talk, gonna talk about, about the Q-Source. Q-source. <laughs> I know, I know. Anyways, <laughs> so so Mark is thought to be probably written first and right. kind of the shortest, and then they kind of expand on that. Although what's funny is that Mark actually is very wordy, so there's some thought that maybe Matthew did write first, and then Mark wanted to write a shorter account and explain certain things that he thought was more important. Anyways, Mark's gospel is there, really wordy in some things, and he has a few really funny, the the funniest interaction in the gospel that makes me laugh every single time is he has really long passion narratives and one of those is when jesus gets captured there's this man with a loincloth in the garden and his loincloth gets stolen and he runs away naked <laughs> and it's like what why did he include that it's uh some of the early church fathers have talked about it the fact that um it's an allegory for maybe us kind of losing our innocence in some mm-hmm. ways of kind of different things and in things I think it was Mark. I think yeah. so. There's an idea. There's a tradition that that was actually the vineyard or the garden where Jesus went to pray mm-hmm. was Mark's family uh. garden, and so he was kind of he knew about Jesus. Right. You know, it was kind of like kind of spying on them in some ways, kind of in the background. Right. You know, this was his family garden. There was this famous guy, and I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to him, and then he gets you know again a commotion happens, and he just runs away. And which is beautiful to think about that then he became a disciple and mm-hmm. walked with Peter and would be able to share certain accounts and understanding both from yeah. Peter's insight as well as, in that specific instance, his own insight. Yeah, because I think the common belief was that while he became a, I mean, he was not an apostle. Right. But he was actually a very young boy when right. he became a follower of Jesus, a right. disciple, but yeah. never to the level of an apostle. Right. But... um so that he was very, very young when yeah. he started following Jesus. Right. So, yeah. So anyways, these, these are all, again, things that, you know, again, we don't rest our faith in and say, right. like, oh, if that was proved wrong, then all, all of a sudden our entire faith is gone. Uh, but I think it's a it's a cool tradition that I, I love thinking about. Uh, so the last one is Matthew's Gospel. Mm-hmm which is the divine man. And I always think of that just kind of last. Uh, He's one of the apostles. He's the tax collector. So, okay, so it's just the apostle writing about it. Mm -hmm. Matthew's gospel is, you know, the way that it's worded, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so he is the first one. He's actually the preeminent. So interestingly enough, when when, uh, preachers went to go preach, (laughs) when when uh, preaching actually didn't happen at Mass and in the Middle Ages, when preaching actually happened in the town square and Mass was just to pray and there wasn't any preaching. But when preachers went out to preach, they often didn't bring the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. What they would bring is just Matthew's Gospel. Hmm. And Matthew's Gospel was what most of the teachings of the Catholic Church come from. It has the Beatitudes. Right. It, it um, has the Sermon on the Mount. It... Um, and so when we look at a lot of the teachings of the church, it all comes from Matthew is kind of the preeminent of the Gospels in terms of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a thought that, again, it was Matthew. And so he, he again, doesn't explain as much as Luke, but he does order it towards a Gentile audience. So he does translate certain things. He also has certain, again, intimate knowledge of certain things that, again, you kind of say, well, how did somebody know? Either they're telling a story or he walked along with Jesus and knew these people. You know, I love whenever one of the gospels names somebody because it, it, again, gives the only reason why you name somebody is because other people know him. Right. And so you're kind of giving a, a real concreteness to who it is. So 
Um, yeah, because they're not yeah. shy in the Gospels about just calling people man, woman, and child. Right. No, yeah, yeah exactly. So they if have they're no coming out with that. an actual proper name, you know that it's, it's someone who is known. Yeah, some reason right. for it. Either Theophilus right. of giving, you know, again, this kind of uh, beautiful invitation into being a mm-hmm. lover of God or... You know, which which there are certain symbolic names that are given. Lazarus being one of those right. that's thought, okay, well, the parable of Lazarus, um, that it it gives more by the name. I actually don't know what Lazarus means, but uh, but I know that there's, you know, the name is given. But you know it means I know something. it means something. Because they don't give a name to the rich man in the story right. of Lazarus, but they give the name to Lazarus. So anyways... Uh, so some of it is symbolic and some of it is because they're actual people. So those are the four symbols, the the kind of angel, the divine man, the ox, the lion, and the eagle. And so whenever you see those symbols, you can right. know that that's there. All right. I looked up Lazarus. Okay. It is the Greek rendition of the Hebrew El Azar, which literally means he whom God has helped. Hmm. There you go. kind of beautiful. Yeah. 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 You want to, okay, I'm going to get sidetracked. But Lazarus also, one of my beautiful, uh, I love, you know, he Jesus raises Lazarus. Right. And he's the brother of Mary and Martha. And so one of the interpretations uh, that's I think is beautiful is the idea that Lazarus, and he's especially loved by Jesus. Mm-hmm. We see this kind of. Uh, particular care that he has for Lazarus. Again, different than the, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus, the actual person. Right. And um, so the thought is, is Lazarus isn't married. He's living with his two sisters. It's kind of a weird situation for, you know, again, uh, a man who should be out living, you know, and have a family and everything else. And so the thought is, is that Lazarus was actually handicapped mm. or kind of disabled in some ways, maybe mentally disabled because he never speaks Mary right. and Martha both speak, but he never speaks, and he dies at a young age, and Jesus is, you know, cries over him and ends up raising him from the dead. And so there's this beautiful, I think, meditation on just the love that Jesus has, especially for those who are uh, mentally handicapped or in, in other ways that he just has a particular love for them. Uh, and that Lazarus, you know, again, kind of the theory is is that maybe maybe he was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all that to be said, uh, kind of moving on, I uh, want to talk about what, why these four Gospels are uh, read. And if we go to Mass on the weekend, we hear almost all the stories. There's a few parts that are left out throughout right. the three-year cycle, but we every three years we go through these four Gospels. And each year is assigned to a specific Gospel. Well, how does that work, right? <laughs> because... Yeah, so kind of every three years. Well, I mean, yeah, yes, but yeah, no. It's yeah. it it. So our three year cycle is year A, year B, B and, and year C. C. Right. So year A is, is Matthew. Year B Mark, is and year C is Luke. Right. So John, we just don't read. It, right. right. <laughs> yeah, we just throw John out. We just right? So it would make sense if we had a four year cycle, but we only have a right. three year cycle because we work John into all kind of the special holidays right. or special feast days and everything else. So throughout uh, John's and special gospel, seasons, special seasons. Yeah. So, so we'll, we'll have a narrative of like the, the bread of life narrative through several right. Sundays. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we also have during Holy Week, uh, Passion Sunday, Palm right. Sunday is we go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then Good Friday is always John's. Right. So John has this kind of preeminence in, in some places of always being present there. And so we do we do get him throughout the three, but he's kind of sprinkled throughout. Right. Uh, as opposed to, and so again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. They're almost all the same. I think almost 70% of their gospels are the same stories. And so there's a lot of similarity. And so that's whenever you hear something and you're like, oh, I thought I heard this uh, a little bit different. Well, yeah, it might have been one of the other Gospels that worded or phrased it slightly different. And then John's Gospel is completely different. So we have that three-year cycle to kind of go through and um, kind of continue to unpack. And so you kind of hear all the Gospels throughout those three years. So right now we're in year C. We are. So we've been hearing Luke. Luke. Lots of of Luke. Luke. Yeah. And soon, actually, our liturgical year is coming to a close. That's right. It ends at the beginning of Advent. Well, Advent is the beginning of the new year. Of the new year. So it it ends right before that, at the end of November. And and so then we'll be picking up year A, Mm -hmm. which will be, again, Matthew. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, A, B, and C, um, kind of going through that. Uh, Funny story, I mean... Nobody else, nobody else really remembers A, B, or what year we're in. You, you just right. have to look. You're like, I don't know what year it is. I just, you know, read whatever is supposed to be put in front of me. So when I was a, when I was a deacon, a transitional deacon, helping one of my friends, uh, it was his first mass, and I, I, you know, again, wasn't having to preach every single weekend, so I didn't really look over the readings and pulled the gospel book, and I was the the deacon of the word, and so I opened up the gospel book, and sometimes. The, the book, I knew what week it was, but I didn't know whether it was A, B, or C. Because, again, I haven't been <laughs> preaching. I haven't really, like, enriched into it. And on the page was, you know, uh, week whatever, year B and year C. Right. And I did not know <laughs> whether it was year B or year C. And I was like... Well, uh, I got a 50-50 chance. 50-50 chance. And I got it right. <laughs> you are so lucky. <laughs> I, was, I was very lucky. I was like, I really hope that I'm doing the right one right now. Okay, because it's Nobody gonna... looks mad. Let's just keep on going. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that happens sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. A bit yeah. It, is, um, it is kind of funny when you're dealing with the lectionaries and stuff, the differences and then trying to find things in the different years and the way they arrange the weekend versus weekday it's liturgical and now i have a little bit of more liturgical sense and so i've certainly run into i can't find it whereas oh because they put it here and and different things but it'd be very confusing because because we we don't deal on you know september 17th it's not linked to that it's linked to the week and so it keeps on changing and it's but but we do have certain things that are linked on specific days and then other things that are linked on weeks and then seasons and it's like this this big puzzle that doesn't fit together yeah and then when you start throwing in days of obligation and vigil masses and then it takes away other things yeah the difference between the liturgical day and the canonical day and then the usccb will will move certain feast days yeah i mean we could do a whole podcast about oh yeah because it is bananas because we well we did sort of with the holy days oh yeah we we did did, didn't we never mind scratch that (laughs) good good all right well uh any last uh minute any last thoughts that you kind of like about the evangelists or the gospels or kind of cool things? I, I really do love their symbology. Yeah. Like, I don't know why. I think it's just been something of going through all the churches yeah. and, and seeing, seeing that. And yeah. it just, it gives you something to look for as well yeah. and think about yeah. as you kind of ponder it sometimes. And not that, you know, I need to sit there and think about an eagle and like, 
the real true meaning of Jesus and flying towards the sun and yeah. But there is a little bit of that, again, the scene setting, yeah. and it puts you in a yeah. frame of mind, I think, yeah. for it sometimes. Yeah, just by seeing it, 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 it evokes uh, a lot. Yeah, it's like seeing an American flag. I mean, again, yeah. there's, there's an evoking of so much more than just the flag. There's an evoking when you see those symbols of so much mm-hmm. more, and it uh, it draws you in. And it it also kind of makes you feel like an insider when you kind of know. Right. <laughs> You're like... I know what that means. Do you know yeah. What I mean? yeah. And I always love pointing that out in kind of church tours or different things, you know. Kind of like. Yeah, that was uh, one of my favorite things about, you. again, we were lucky enough to live in Italy and just going through all those churches and just being like, oh, yeah, look at that. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. I, I really do love the Gospels. I think, um, I mean, I love, there's a lot of beauty in all of them. I love the Beatitudes so much. Mm. I really do. Yeah. But I also really love the Bread of Life discourse. Yeah. Uh, I really like the Good Samaritan discourse, yeah. too. I mean, <laughs> so it, you know, there's them, one yeah. in all of the. There's something in all yeah. of them that draws yeah. me in. Yeah, yeah, which so, is good. Yeah. So I actually, uh, I love the symbols of them. And I love the idea of the gospel according to, and the way that all four of them work together mm-hmm. to kind of build up uh, the preeminence. You know, we, we stand in the liturgy. We stand at the gospels. Those are the preeminent right. part of the gospel, of, of the liturgy. Uh, outside of the, or the liturgy, the word, it's the preeminent part is standing and hearing the word proclaimed. I also kissed the book. And so I kind of love that. And so when I actually was looking for a chalice, yeah, we do, we do that. So it's a podcast. Yeah. They don't know. You're doing the cross over the, Uh, over the head, over the mind, mind, lips and heart. Yeah. 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 And so, well, anyways, all all that to be said, I, I love it. And so when I actually went to try to find a chalice for myself or kind of ordination chalice, I was really intent. I wanted a chalice with the four symbols of the gospel because I think that, again, where the Eucharist comes from, it doesn't come from the gospels, but the foundation of our belief in the Eucharist do are built up and, and foundationally built upon the gospels right? and the bread of life discourse, but also the institution narratives, which is also supported by Paul and others. But anyway, so this kind of idea of the foundation of the word giving rise to our belief and our faith, you know, not confined to it but but blossoming and developing forth from it and so on my chalice it's got the four symbols and it's it's actually normally it's just kind of a a symbol in in the chalice maybe in the base but Mm -hmm. mine actually in the node of it it has the four so it has faces out and one of them is the ox which has its horns and so i like always stab my stab my fingers you know it's like it's not very efficient Uh, but um it's uh, it's beautiful, and I I love you know again that it is it kind of sticks out in that way. Yeah, so. yeah, that's Anyways. that's fantastic. Good. All right. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you learned something. I hope next time that you see the gospel book or if you see the symbols that you can uh, dive a little bit more in and also know a little bit more about the differences between the gospels and continue to learn. All right. Well, thanks. Thank God. you. God bless.